guys, welcome back again to the Well Said Podcast, where we are talking about following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. My name is Andre, and I'm here with my friend Sam, and we're back to talk again about more stuff that's related to culture, life, and theology, our spiritual life. How's it going, man? Pretty great. Um, school's in full swing. I think that my lab schedule is going to nuke my social life, so we'll see how that goes this semester. You um, have a commitment to the podcast, though, so it doesn't matter what your lab's doing. We're right, recording. Thursday morning or whatever. Yeah, gee. Man. Yeah, you know, I feel like recording every week, I'm starting to get into the groove of it, like getting into the flow of constantly. Because before this, we were doing every couple of weeks or every few few weeks, and you constantly like having to reset your brain to recording and thinking and podcasting. Yeah. So I think we're getting into the rhythm here. You know, I actually think it's kind of impressive just how many episodes we were able to record with so little preparation sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't. You don't have to say that, Sam. We pre- <laughs> we prepare hours in advance. Hour. I mean, research. We read books. We watch documentaries. It's true. Well, you know, life is preparing for this podcast. Yeah. Right. As we read, as we think, as we go about life, we we come up with material and things we want to talk about. And obviously, we don't take on subjects where we understand we don't really know much about. So, if there's not a lot of prep, it doesn't mean it's not actually a lot of prep. It's that there's a lot of stuff that has been going into us in terms of life prep. Exactly. So, speaking of life prep, what are we talking about today? You know, I'm really excited about this episode because I think it's one where people are searching for guidance and answers. And that sounds kind of funny because, uh, so it's the topic of dating and relationships. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm a young, younger guy. I haven't, I'm not married yet. I'm in the dating scene and that offers a different perspective from you. Yeah. You are married. You have four children right now, two of them, your own, two of them yep. foster kids. I'm through. So I think it's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, so we also, we're going to talk on the issue of Joshua Harris and his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and some of the recent developments with uh, him coming out against the faith and renouncing that book, and just a lot of the history of the purity courtship movement that started in the 90s, how that got started. Quite to be, you know, to be honest, some people might not actually know a lot about it because it's actually before your time. So if you're listening to this and you're like 18... Um, maybe even 19, 20, I don't know. You might not even know who Joshua Harris is. Right. So today you'll find out, and, and actually why he's important uh, to think about. Yeah, you know, he represents an era in, in sort of contemporary evangelical Christian thought. And eras come and they go, so yep. it's important to, to understand them. So let's right off the bat, who's Joshua Harris and why does he matter for the question of dating? Yeah, I mean, Joshua Harris is... He did a lot of things. He was a megachurch pastor for a while out of um, D.C., but he got his start in the homeschool community. Um, He and his brothers were kind of movers and shakers at the time, writing a lot of books um, at a very young age, like in their 20s. Even, I think some of them, maybe even in their teens, um, his brothers, Alex and Brett, wrote the book Do Hard Things. But his, his groundbreaking book was one called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and it was it kind of formed the foundation for a lot of the sexual purity movement in American evangelicalism. 
this idea that dating was an inherently flawed idea mm-hmm. and that there should be a much more serious approach to relationships, which uh, they got, I guess he kind of coined, maybe he didn't coin the term courtship, but that's what it was. Like, he kind of brought it back. He brought it back. Yeah. Which I mean, I don't know. I think courtship's kind of a weird word. Like, yeah, I don't really know what the, what the foundation of that word was, but the whole idea was like, you, you don't, go do things alone with someone of the opposite sex because you're putting yourself in a compromising position. Um, you don't really have conversations with them beyond small talk because you might be um, giving them the false idea that you're interested in them. Mm-hmm. And if you are interested, you have to go and talk to the girl's father and, you know, be approved to go and, and do things together. And right. It well, just made it this really big awkward bumbling thing where everyone just getting to know someone of the opposite sex was like a huge, huge issue. The background to this even more is that during the mid nineties, uh, you know, as culture, you know, progressive sexual culture is moving along through the U S Christian parents and churches and leaders were concerned about the pregnancy rate, the sex outside of marriage rate. And mm-hmm. so they were trying to push back against that and, and encourage young people to not uh, right. embrace was, the, the, the revolution, the sexual revolution of the world. Yeah, like the 1980s and the early 90s were an era of sexual excess. Like, I mean, and just immorality. So after the today, but, revolution. but, <laughs> but, but even was, more so it was a very new thing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of went from the traditional values of the mid 20th century into this, this situation where people were, it was new ground. It was unexplored territory. And a lot of people were really terrified of that in the Christian movement. So in response to that, there was this sexual purity movement that basically uh, encouraged young people in a variety of ways, like signing little pledges and getting purity rings for girls. And, you know, at one point a huge, giant convention of teenagers in Washington, yeah. D.C., putting little stakes in the ground, in the ground saying true yeah. love waits. So it's like this, it's almost like a, it became like a, almost like a creepy, like obsession, kind of like a, like obsession a with virginity yeah. right. within evangelicalism. Now, I, the idea is good, right? Don't embrace the world's flawed sexual ethic. Exactly. But the methods of the purity movement oftentimes had really, really uh, bad results. Now, before we keep moving, I think as we're talking about Joshua Harris and all this stuff, one of the things that you guys should all do is check out the documentary about Joshua Harris and his uh, book. So it's recently... Called, yeah, I Survived Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, very recently, what happened was, so Joshua Harris, after writing his book, he became a pastor. Then he left his pastorate. He went to study in Canada, and then somebody approached him and started asking him about his book. A lot of people were saying mixed reviews of how his book impacted them. And so somebody wanted to do a documentary uh, looking at how does how did people respond, how did this book, what kind of impact did it have? So basically, Joshua Harris went on this whole journey of asking a, b- a bunch of people and talking to a bunch of people about the negative impacts of his book and purity culture in general. Um, and that's the documentary. So we'll put a link in, in the podcast info here. Check at, check that out because it's yeah. very interesting. It was also filmed before he actually renounced the faith. So between this time when he renounced the ideas of his book 
and renounce the faith. Right. So you can kind of see him struggling with a lot in this documentary, and it's really worth watching. Um, and obviously, it's sad how everything turned out, but um, right. Well, I mean, we valuable... haven't mentioned that, so some people might not even know. So basically, what he did was he went through and he kind of denied the book, and then this summer in in July August mm-hmm. he did not you know he like one guy said he kissed dating goodbye he kissed his marriage goodbye and he kissed christianity goodbye um you know in, in a series of denials so basically Joshua Harris is no longer professing to be a christian and then you know in the next instagram post he was at his first gay parade right so um this guy has gone the full spectrum of denying christianity um but it seems that one of the big starting one of the big catalysts was this uh, denial of his book and the denial of the stuff that he was talking about in his book. You know, I think it's one of those situations where, um, you know, the higher, higher you're flying, the more it hurts to hit rock bottom. Yeah. And after years and years of professing this, of teaching it, being a huge church pastor and leader, and then to realize that you've hurt a lot of people with your ideas. That sucks. That's hard to cope with, you know. As a person, and, and, you know, pastors generally are a more empathetic group of people. And to realize that you've hurt people can really affect you deeply, um, especially when you're that big of a name. And I think he just, he was really struggling with a lot of that and didn't, wasn't quite able to come to terms with his past. Right, right. So basically, the reason that this matters for the dating question is because this whole situation is a very good opportunity to pause and reflect on how Christians think about dating, romance, and marriage. And um, it offers some really good lessons. So, Sam, you didn't read the book in your early 20s, late teens, right? Yeah, interestingly enough, I was not raised in the courtship movement. I was right. homeschooled. Um, I participated in activities where I knew a lot of families who were. Right. I actually knew the Harris family um, and did a lot of activities with um, their younger brother, um, who was my age. But I never, my family never got into it. Actually, my, my parents always thought the courtship movement was kind of ridiculous. Huh. Um, Why? Did they, did they, did they like critique it specifically? The, yeah, they did. And mainly because they thought that the standards were just completely unrealistic and kept young men and young women from getting to know each other as, as friends hmm. before going further into a romantic relationship. Interesting. They were not raised obviously in the courtship movement, but they were raised in a small town, uh-huh. um, you know, in Southern America where generally speaking, there was a sort of overwhelming moral authority when it came to dating. Right. People. Did so they basically the right did courtship. Not even that. No, they went on, you know, recreational dates, obviously, just to have fun and to get to know people. But um, it wasn't a big deal like it is in courtship. Right. Right. For sure. And again, that was before the era of the sexual revolution or just near the very beginning of it when all that stuff hadn't quite hit small town America yet. Right. Right. So what was so i can say what was good about the book so not not everything is wrong in this right. book right you actually read it i think it impacted your community yeah deeply, it did right? it did and actually the funny thing is me and my wife watched the documentary a couple of days ago and we're like you know that's interesting because now that we watched the documentary we have a more clear perspective of the negative impacts that mm. this book had on us or not even on us but on people around us because 
Um, dating and marriage and romance is such a, uh, there's so many ways that relationships can go. You cannot engineer a relationship. So it just so happened that my wife and I knew each other really well. We didn't date very long. Like we just kind of jumped through that world quickly because we, once we started dating, we kind of knew that we wanted to be together and be married. And it wasn't like a complicated process. But for many people, that's not the, that's not the case. And so you can't, so it's very easy to look back and be like, look how simple it is. Look, I followed the biblical rules right. and look how good my marriage is, right? So the good thing about the book is it basically told young people, teenagers, guys, dating is not for just for fun. Like you shouldn't be just dating around in middle school. That's stupid. It's just really stupid. <laughs> yeah, when you're 13 school, right. or 14 or 15 and you're not even thinking about marriage and you're hanging out with, you're, you're, you're living a childish life, um, so in, in our culture, you know, like right now, middle schoolers, what middle schoolers are up to these days and even high school, like is way more sexually, like way more perverse than it was even 10 years ago because culture has shifted and technology has made sex even more available. Yeah. So what the book said was basically dating is not just for fun. Dating is for getting to know people and, and, and supposed to be a vehicle for getting to know people and getting married. That's a good thing that the book said. That's a good thing. And we kind of basically got that basic message. Yeah. Um, it's not a recreational activity to just get to know girls, hook up, and, <clears throat> and um, you know, entertain your romantic feelings as a kid when you don't have any idea what's going on. So that's good. What's not so good uh, is that basically what this book did was two things. A, it set a standard for how a relationship should look like and kind of, it was, it was a, almost the, pros, like they say in the documentary, the prosperity gospel of the marriage world, the Christian yeah. marriage world. So if you follow these conservative Christian rules and you follow these steps, you will have an amazing marriage and it, you will have amazing sex for the rest of your life. As they said in the documentary, a lot of people, a lot of churches actually saw it as kind of like the book after Revelation. Like yeah, this is how you do relationships. Yeah, in a in Christianity. Now, and it, well, it puts sex up on a pedestal too, right? And family, as the highest form of like sex and marriage as the highest form of intimacy between a man and a woman at the expense of emotional and spiritual intimacy. Yeah, and that, and and one of the problems is that shows something about the American church that got so caught up in this situation where it shows you that family was already an idol in the church, that it was just elevated to such a pedestal, you know? So you put all this pressure on young people. If they behave this way, they're going to have amazing marriages. Well, a lot of them get married and they're like, man, this is hard. This is yeah. not what he's promised, you know? So that's the first problem. The second problem is that it, it, it created a hyper-awareness between guys and girls in the church about relating to each other and about the question of purity. Right. So, uh, so, um, and that's a really vague term, kind of like people just assume that purity meant not having sex. It meant that you're a virgin. Well, there's all these different definitions. So like right. there's different, like, so like in our context, I, I remember people talking about stuff like emotional purity where, and this is, this is true. Girls should not, have these fantasies about marrying a guy if he just talked to them after church for five minutes. Like, right. you, that, that's foolish. And you should... 
But that's just a maturity thing. That's not right. Like, putting rules in place around courtship isn't going to change that. You know, that's right. just you have to have a mature perspective on other people and how you relate to them. Right. Well, and here's here's the ironic thing. By trying to make by trying to prevent young people with being obsessed with dating and romance and setting these rules, you actually made people obsessed with dating and romance. No, you're completely right. And yeah. made them basically only talk to people who they might like and might have a relationship with and everything was like why are you talking to this person are you you know saying so yeah and and everything revolves around the question of is this a person that you're likely gonna date and marry or not and if not then this is a useless conversation and this Mm -hmm. is a this is a per this is a dangerous relationship right because it was dangerous because you weren't protecting your heart right because you might have developed feelings for this person yeah so this craziness prevents young people from living in community and having friendships. Yeah. It kind of tried to take, I think, um, normal, normal relationships and turn them into a fairy, book, fairy tale story, right? Where if you follow these rules, your relationship will be happily ever after and nothing will go wrong. Yeah. So to clarify, though, um, guys and girls cannot be naive about having like expectations on relationships, right? So like there's the other side, which is overly naive, which is saying like guys and girls can have friendships just as deep as with the same gender and it's all good, whatever. We're just friends and like hanging out, spending a lot of intimate time together. Like that's being naive. God wired male and female to develop biological, uh, physical, emotional uh, attraction when you spend time with each other. So that you can't be naive and say, oh, whatever, like no rules, we're just all friends. Right. Because that throws you into the other extreme. Um, but the reality is that Christians are called to live as the church, as the body of Christ. And that means community. That means friendships. That means open relationships. And open, not open relationships. That sounds. Yeah. <laughs> openness, <laughs> openness in relationships. In relationships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it means that young people need to learn to live in community. And, and, rich groups of friendships that you have really meaningful experiences with. And this whole purity culture thing made just put on all these boundaries that made all these, all young people very aware, very hyper, um, awkward. And, and, and eventually what it did, I think was it made young people just avoid the opposite gender, just avoid the complexity, avoid the, so it's just, Guys over there and girls over there. Somebody such an exhausting experience that nobody wanted to do. And when a guy would talk to a girl at a party or at a gathering, everybody'd be like, "Ooh, they're talking!" Like this, (laughs) this, this ridiculous. You walk into like some youth groups and yeah, there's like guys on the fifteen feet between the the guys and the girls. Yeah, and and that's absurd. You have to learn to relate to people around you. Guys need to learn to navigate conversations with girls yeah. on a friendship uh, level as a brother in Christ. Yeah. I mean, I know people who uh, they went into marriage, you know, at like 18 or 19 from the homeschool uh, community who went into marriage completely romantically unexperienced without really any idea how to relate to the opposite gender. One guy I know actually married a girl woman grown woman who was 20 years older than him yeah 20 wow, that's, years that's, that's creepy and because he basically just went for the first woman who showed him any attention because he hadn't developed any meaningful friendships with 
girls before that. That's so, creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it was bizarre. So I'm thinking about this moving along saying how, do, so I'm, I'm almost 29 now. So I've been married for almost seven years or six years. Shoot, I forgot. Uh, but <laughs> it's coming around. And how has my... You know when your how, engagement date is yeah. or not your, uh, your anniversary. How has my perspective on dating and relationships changed in the last, uh, in the last few years? I think, so just a couple of quick points here and you can just critique me or just chime in on what you think. Um, first of all, I, what hasn't changed, I, I think that when Christians talk about sexuality and relationships, Christians will still sound like totally crazy extremists to the culture around us. We, we believe that sex is for marriage. We believe that relationships between guys and girls are important and should have a certain standard. There should be a still standards of physical intimacy and, um, the purpose of dating is marriage eventually. Now, how has my perspective changed is that I realize more and more that the whole, the, the journey of getting to being single and being married is, has so much variety. And there's so many different ways that God leads us through different seasons of life. And you cannot engineer a relationship. You cannot set five easy steps and, and tell people what it's going to be like because right. You you can't you don't even know you only know your experience. I only know my dating experience and I learned lessons from that. But I also am understanding as I'm watching people and friends that I have, like people who are still single, people have gone through a lot of different changes and seasons, trying to figure out and navigate the world of dating and marriage. There's so many questions that I never had to deal with. And so I can't even prepare I can't even start to say that this is how it is, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because God takes us on many, many different kind of journeys or varieties of how he pairs us up. And that's really, in a, you know, a mysterious journey, like how God finds the person that you're going to, you know, marriage yeah. is amazing. But, but this journey from being single to being married, God has a lot of different ways he does that for us. Now, obviously, that doesn't compromise the fact that we, we, we protect physical intimacy. We have standards. We have common sense. Uh, understanding of relationships and kind of limits uh, that keep you sort yeah. of protected. And like, I mean, even have to be careful though with that because those limits look different for everybody. Like there are very clear biblical guidelines on, on things like you don't have sex. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But even the whole idea that you like your first kiss should be on your wedding day at the altar mm-hmm. is, I mean, I think that's pretty extreme personally. So but again, it comes down to the wisdom and discretion and maturity of the people involved in the relationship. Yeah, I'm going to say I don't think that's extreme. But again, <laughs> here's where we, we, can, we can have a difference. Yeah. But again, I'm not, I would never, um, I wouldn't write it in a book and say that if you kissed, you lost your purity. Right. I, I would say uh, from my perspective, from what I've seen and known, it is not wise to enter into kissing and physical intimacy before you're married. Because... You're all of that stuff was designed for marriage. It was, God did not design us to be kissing random people on the street. So, like, it, I mean, it's, I don't think somebody you're in a relationship with is a random person on the street. Right, 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 right. But my point is that it's designed for the marriage relationship. So, as much as you can protect that, you're going to do good for yourself and that person. But again, I'm not going to say you're going to. You know, th- these are all the specific hard and fast rules. You know what I'm saying? 
So right. the other thing that I was going to say is that I think in an aging generation, um, dating is like being put off more and more. And not only that, technology has made us more connected to a lot of different people. So you mentioned your parents, right? So think about it. In, in a less connected, less digitally connected generation, it was just easier. Well, you knew people's families. You knew people. Because you grew up in the same towns. Yeah. Your parents knew their parents. Your grandparents knew their grandparents. It was, I mean, you knew people's character. Yeah, yeah. You weren't getting into a huge, there wasn't a lot of risk. Yeah. You kind of knew, I mean, there's still risk in any relationship. In any marriage, when you, get, when, you, when you marry somebody, you think you know them. There's so much you don't know about them. Oh, yeah. But, but obviously way less risk when you kind of know their family, you know their background. Like people kind of knew each other and it's a lot safer and it was a lot simpler because you have less options. Yeah. It's like, well, these guys in my town or these girls in my town that, right. you know. Like if you grew up in a small village, I mean, so I'm looking at like your parents or grandparents, for example. They did not come from a village, but okay. Maybe not a village, <laughs> but like people in your community, right? So you, you have these small communities, um, old world communities in which for some people, you kind of knew who you're going to marry because there were only like four options. Yeah. <laughs> you Honestly, in some ways, our, our church 10 years ago was a village because like, Russian churches. Now, I think in the past 10 years, that's been changing a lot. Russian churches are becoming more like connected to their English speaking communities yeah. and like totally just open, breaking down the walls. But Russians have been very high walls and protect ourselves from the encroachment of the Americans kind of thing. It's just not, yeah. not a healthy dynamic in, right. in, in churches. But in, in like when we were kind of growing up, it was just like, I didn't really know what a lot of young people who are outside of my church. And it was, it, it was kind of like in the village, sort of. But in a way, we, I mean, we had a big church, a lot of people, and we were all really good friends. We had a lot of really good friendships. So I can, I can kind of say that I kind of got the best of it. Hmm. Um, but it was simpler. It was. You don't have like all these different options. And like today, I'm like, there's a lady on the documentary talks about dating service. Right. It's Online like, dating. It's just crazy because like, and again, I, I'm not going to judge. I don't. I don't, I'm not going to judge people in that position. You, you, you use the tools available to you to get to know people. Yeah. I mean, well, it used to be like online dating was almost, it was like the middle-aged, like divorced people who would Creepy go weirdos. on like eHarmony or whatever. Yeah. And, and that was how they connected or people who were like 40 years old who had never been in a relationship. Yeah. But now it's everybody. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, there's a Especially few people, people I know who met cities. online. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're in a big city, there's so many people around you and you're trying to meet somebody who has other, you know, qualities that, I mean, it makes sense. So this is a new, this is an anomaly in a digitally connected world yeah. where everybody's mobile too. Like you don't just grow up in the same town right. and live We're your life. We're geographically transient. Like yep. we move from city to city for jobs, for education. Yeah. And so what that does is it makes it, so on one side, you're more connected to more people right? So that, that might be a good thing, but it's much more difficult to actually get to know people. Hmm. People are more mysterious. Um, so, and there's a lot more risk. So yeah, there, there are people who would probably still crucify me for, for saying this in the Christian community, but I think you should go on a lot of dates. And what I mean is not that you should seriously date a lot of people, but we live in a world where everyone is a professional faker 
Yeah. And even like the best of, of us, we have social media and we're always curating this image to kind of conform with our, our, our tribe identity at the time. Right. And we can switch that on and off and some people are better at it than others. But if you, if you have a lot of experience with different people, it's like being a bank teller who's seen lots and lots of, you know, hundred dollar bills. You immediately can tell the real ones from the fake ones. And the more people you meet, the easier it is to gauge people's values and whether or not they're covering something up. Yeah, I think that it only that really matters what you mean by date, because I mean, like gra- so like in our world, like getting coffee with a girl and like getting to know her a little bit, that would be qualified as a date. Right. But but that's not the same thing as like going on a picnic and spending time and doing something like romantic together. That's right. that's a different level of intimacy that you shouldn't go on a lot of those, but you should go on a lot of the coffee the dates. first kind yeah, of getting exactly. to know people. Right. And so and I think that's that's a that's a that's an idea that you can we kinda need to push at young adults today that you need to just and I, I think that was very interesting in the documentary. There was a lady that was saying that basically my whole my my simple goal, uh, my expectation for this uh, online dating thing is getting to know somebody out of my work environment it has nothing to do with romance. Yeah. And sometimes you'll get to know somebody that you actually like, right. uh, but it's just getting to know people, meeting people outside of your work environment. And I thought that was very interesting hmm. because you need to learn to cultivate real relationships. No, you know? yeah, you're exactly right. And that's harder and harder as you get older and you get out of school. You don't have, you know, the college scene. You don't have, you know, maybe young adults ministries as much. Um, so I think doing that while you're younger, while you're, you know, in that college age period is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the things I think is really important to understand, though, like no matter how you date, whether that's this courtship thing or whether it's just going on a lot of coffee dates and meeting a lot of different people, is that you're going to have bad experiences. Like that's just how it is because you're dealing with people. Right. And we're dealing with people who have a lot of choices, too. Right. I mean, you have a lot of choices. They have a lot of choices. They can go on three more dates this week if they want to, and so can you if you're out to do that, it's not the small village anymore. Right. Yeah. And we're also, I mean, we're in dating is exhausting work. Like it's an investment. It takes all, I mean, not only is it, you get disappointed with friends, like friends who you feel are flaky, but then when you add the remote, like the, the romantic emotional attraction to it, it just becomes even harder work. Yeah. But it's, it's something you have to do. I think, um, you risk rejection of course. Um, but like we live in an age where people are flaky and you have to understand that. Um, and it's, it's messy and it's complicated and that's how relationships are. There's no perfect Christians, you know, one, two, three, four, five, Jesus blessed, um, formula for, for how it's done. And like, so the whole idea of the purity movement, you know, was protecting your heart or protecting her heart. But the truth is there's no way to truly protect your heart when it comes to relationships. You're going to develop attractions to people that don't work out and vice versa. You're going to hurt people and people are going to be hurt by you or, and you're going to be hurt by other people. So (coughs) I, 
you just have to learn how to deal with the emotionally taxing part of getting to know people. Yeah, I think the correct side of the protecting your heart thing is just the awareness that you it is foolish to rush into emotional intimacy prematurely. Yeah, and so you have to use discretion. Young, you can, you can you fall dates. in love with somebody and, and just dive into a relationship where you just unpack your emotions and your secrets and your connection. You just develop this deep attraction to a person way too quick Mm, and way too prematurely and then you then you wake up three months later and you're like i actually don't like this person and Mm. i can't marry this person and then you just like you just unloaded your whole like emotional life on them you know, because you just, you fell in love really fast. Right. And now so that's they where, feel like you're, you're so connected and you're going to have to break it off. And that's really difficult. It's yeah. foolish. You shouldn't do that. You know? Yeah. So that's why I think, so, you know, a couple questions about this, like in just basic questions in terms of like time frame or age, like, is there an age for dating? Uh, I think the connection, the, the answer to the age question is connected to the time frame question. Well, I think it's connected to a, a maturity question. Too. Right. Like, right. And the, the problem, obviously, with saying that is that people who are not mature enough to date don't know that they're not mature enough to date. Um, Which is why you should have people older than you who can tell you that. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, having a family that has a healthy perspective on this who can give you wisdom and advice is really important. Yeah. I know I had that, and I really appreciate the guidance of, of my parents and my my friends who'd been through it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, one of the things that you also hear in, in I think, this Christian purity culture courtship movement is you shouldn't date or you shouldn't court or whatever until you can provide for yourself and the person that you're with. Like that, I don't think that's healthy because again, like that's a different time frame for people, especially in an age where, um, you know, people are in school for a long time uh-huh. and understandably so because we live in a complicated economy where that's necessary often, but you shouldn't let that keep you from getting to know people. Yeah. I think that all of this to me, as I reflect connects to the time frame question. So uh, a, a few qualifications. I know that there are exceptions to every big rule or principle, you know, in Proverbs, you, every proverb that you read is going to have exceptions to it. It's not, the rule, it's the way generally things work. And I think the wisdom of dating is that generally people should not plan on dating long term. Like you shouldn't, if you are, uh, if you're in relationship with somebody and you see that you both love Jesus, you both are really attracted to each other. You, you, you believe you can start a family together. You, you want to do that. Yeah. Um, it, Generally, people should not plan on dating for multiple years at a time. That is not healthy because God created us for marriage. So I think a year like is healthy. Yeah. That's a good amount of time. And again, every relationship is going to be different. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you're expecting to date for multiple years for that, what are you doing with all that uh, emotional and physical attraction that is growing. Either you're stunting it, or you are. There's some sort of or you're unhealthy. You're expressing it with the other person in some way in an right. unhealthy manner. Yeah. The reason that people in the world around us uh, will date and for it's multiple they're years, sleeping together. they're living together. Yeah. They're basically living a married lifestyle, but they're not without the connection. Um, so the general expectation is that dating is for the purpose of marriage, but then you understand that it has many pathways. So you kind of have. 
some, you know, some leeway there, I think. So that hits the age question. If you're a 14 year old kid, who's just really, really into that girl in your youth group, that's obviously not (laughs) what, you know, that's not what you should be doing. If you're, if you're young enough that you can't even conceive of thinking about paying your own car insurance and paying for your own phone, you should not be thinking about dating, right? So um, the school and career question, you know, I, I always push back on that a little bit because I think that, again, if you are, if you are, there is absolutely no way that you're going to be able to live outside your parents' home in the next five years. You shouldn't be dating. Right. Um, but I think that a lot of people in our time have this perfectionistic, materialistic plan of like, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to get my this and that, build my career, go up the ladder a little bit, make this certain amount, then I will get married. And I think that's just a bunch of bogus because... If you, yeah, I mean, if you love someone and you're letting Christ manage your relationship, you, you find a way to make it work. Yeah, marriage is not a financial uh, liability. In many ways, marriage is a financial boost, no matter where you are in life. Like, you can be married and do school. You can be married and be building your career. You know, I got married in the middle yeah. of my nursing program. I was in the middle of nursing school. Um, we were both working. She was working full-time. I was working part-time. So, like, and it was so much fun. Yeah. It was amazing. It, marriage, like, it should be a support mechanism. Yeah. If, if it's healthy, you should be supporting each other, and that should actually take the workload off of the other person in, in their own unique ways, you know? Yeah. So I think marry, marrying younger is better always. Now, again, I understand God well, leads... Sometimes, right? Depending on the situation, of course. Right. If you're doing it with a healthy, uh, mature perspective and informed wisdom. So, you know, as I'm listening to this, though, people around you in the world or in many Christian churches that have very different standards, right? They're going to say, well, this is insane. How the heck are guys and girls supposed to relate then, Right. And I think the answer to that is you're still assuming that guys and girls always need to relate romantically, primarily. And that's just simply false. If we live as the church and if we learn to cultivate rich, healthy community and friendship, then in the context of the church, in the context of Christian community, you should have very rich relationships with guys and girls because you live together. You, 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 you grow together, you worship together, mm-hmm. you have wonderful experiences together, right? It's, but, but you are not following the pathway of the world where you're always looking for an, a romantic experience in order to be uh, a healthy person. You know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah, I think that, that makes sense. In God's world, sex and romance are not essential components of being human that's they're not survival mechanisms in in the darwinian evolutionary worldview which our culture adopts sex is an essential component like sleep and food and shelter in fact your your value as a person often is derived from your your sexual value that's why they assume that you have to live this lifestyle and that's why sexual liberation is such a big thing Mm. They want to liberate all the standards on sex so that people can be fully human. In God's picture, you can live many wonderful years in your life without sex. Sexuality is part of the human experience, but it's not the the paramount. Right. It's not at the epicenter. 
And that's a really, that, that alone is like for Christians, lots of times, I think something that they don't even consider, right. you know, is they're trying to be put sex on a pedestal, right? They're trying to Christianize a, a worldly vision of sex, you know, mm. and that's kind of what happened with the purity culture. Yeah. We took, we took sex and said, and marriage and said, look, you'll have the best sex. sex you'll have amazing families. You will have the amazing marriage. You'll have the, the perfect relationship if you follow these steps. If you put on your priori ring and wait till you're, be, you know, wait till marriage and all this stuff. Yeah. Another thing that we did along with that, I think has to kind of be spoken to is we made sex. Obviously, there are very clear biblical guidelines about fornication. Like it's, it's clear. But that movement made sex before marriage like a paramount sin, like a scarlet letter, as if like if you do this thing, then you're ruined. Your forever. life is over. Like yeah, that's it. Like you're yeah. no longer a virgin. Like, it, and it was I think just a really unhealthy way of thinking about things. Obviously, right. it, you know, it's a sin, but like it's we, a sin just like any other sin. We all come to the cross as sinners. We all need to be washed and restored, and you can have the freedom of Christ and his righteousness, no matter what your history is, if you are following Christ, you know what I'm saying? So you follow Christ in this world and you don't expect perfect relationships. You you expect difficult and messy relationships, but that's the other piece I think to this whole thing. You have to learn to, to derive your identity as a follower of Christ and a member of Christian community. Um, and again, I think in this whole dating question, it, you, you come back to realizing how hugely important healthy Christian community is. If you are part, if you're part of a, a wonderful church or, or a context of young people who are growing and worshiping and getting to know God and serving God, that is going to fill your heart in many ways that you never realized, you know, and, and equip you to live. Um, in ways that the culture around you tells you only a romantic sexual experience can. All right, well, that just opens a can of worms for you guys to think about. And uh, if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to send them in. Uh, Let us know what you think. Uh, Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or wherever you get podcasts. Let us know, you know, send us questions. Share this episode with a friend if it was helpful. And we will talk to you guys again soon. Bye.